You're listening to the Mashup Americans. Hey, I'm Amy Choi. And I'm Rebecca Lehrer, and we are the Mashup Americans. And today we're talking about one of our more complicated identities, class. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Amy, this is something that we've talked about a lot because, you know, in so many mashup families, class identities are all over the place. All totally over different. The place, mm-hmm. All over the place. <laughs> it's a mashup that is sometimes hard to figure out how to navigate because we don't talk about it well. Yeah. (laughs) And also because it changes so much and it can change in a lifetime or it can change in a generation. Yep. I've been thinking a lot about mine, especially since last year, you know, we did so much work in our grief collected project and thinking about ancestral trauma and like what gets passed down to us in all the ways across generations. And I started just thinking more and more about like the ups and downs of my family's finances and class. I grew up upper middle class on the North Shore of Chicago, surrounded by a lot of wealth. But my parents didn't make their money as professionals the way that like everybody else's parents did before they immigrated to the U.S. My dad was an engineer and my mom was a nurse and they thought that they'd work in, you know, fields of medicine and engineering. But what ended up happening is that they owned a convenience store. It was attached to a laundromat. This is sounding very Korean American, right? Like (laughs) in the Oasis Mobile Home Park, which at the time was the biggest mobile home park in the Midwest. And so like my childhood was a lot of shuttling between a trailer park where I'd help my parents make six packs of beer on the weekends and like one of the fanciest and wealthiest neighborhoods in the whole country. And it's just like a, it's a it's kind of a mind fuck. Right. And um, but did your parents ever talk about class? Was it acknowledged <laughs> that there's the differences between the two places? Rebecca, uh, what, do you want to hazard a guess? Um, I'm assuming nobody really talked about it. <laughs> but it's not just your parents. It would also the wealthy neighborhood you were in. Nobody's acknowledging it. No. Either. I think it's also just like, you know, part of it with our family in particular. And I think a lot of immigrant families, even if you made money, but you didn't make it in the way that you thought you were going to make it. Yes. Or you you intended to make it for like what you were trained for, you know, because of what immigration does to your job prospects. There was so much shame tied into that. And so like we never talked about the mobile home park and then living in Glencoe. But when I was there on the weekends and I'd start talking to other kids because like that's what kids do. They wouldn't want me playing with the other kids in the trailer park. Like that was just Mm. like not a thing, you know. Mm. And I think it was also, again, just like going back another generation. Like my dad grew up in like a super wealthy family in Pyongyang before the war. And then he refugeed south uh, during the war. He was like eight or nine and then living in a refugee camp in one of the little islands off the south end of South Korea, just Korea at the time. And And then he grew up kind of like dirt poor in Seoul as a refugee. But he always has like the posture of like a wealthy person. You know, Mm -hmm. just kind of like that, the way that like people that have kind of infinite money walk through the world. And my mom was the daughter of a school teacher. There were like five daughters in the family. And she was very solidly middle class. But because they both went through the war, they have that war scarcity. You know, how the reason that we always have cash on hand and like 12 crates mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. beans or whatever, like that that's in all of us, I think. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and that definitely followed them and haunted them even today. Like they would never consider themselves to be as 
wealthy or as secure as they are because I think that they're just, you know, they they had to survive with the mindset of like poor post-war people. That's mm-hmm. just that's who who they became. Yeah, it also it's you know it's just these the shifting fortunes and also again the shaping of identity at certain periods that may right. how you think of yourself right in in a certain moment versus in a in a later moment in time or even going to private school in Los Angeles all my friends were just their moms and dads were professionals and it felt you know it it was fancy but it didn't feel i didn't realize how <laughs> fancy it was yeah in some respect until later when I left the space, I was like, oh, people in Los Angeles, it's similar to where you, you know, you were in, you're like, no, this is the fanciest, one of the fanciest suburbs in the whole country. There's so much context for all of this stuff that you don't know when you're living in it. Yeah. And because your parents or grandparents or all of us have this tradition in us, this sort of um, you know, the shifting fortunes and the real fear that the fortunes could, might shift again. And we live in a country that doesn't really acknowledge class uh, right. because you're just supposed to, you know, become rich by l- pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and like, just being a really good American. Right. You don't right? really exist until you have money. Otherwise, you've really done something wrong. <laughs> right. <laughs> It's so interesting how class can be so much of our identity and has, right, as we said, it shifts over time and we're rewriting the story of ourselves and our class position and what class means to us and what it tells other people about ourselves or what we think it says about us. Which brings us to our guest, Jonathan Menhivar. He's a journalist, podcaster, and producer. And you've heard his work everywhere from This American Life to Fresh Air with Terry Gross. We had him and his lovely wife, Hillary Frank, on talking about their mashup marriage years ago. Jonathan is a Salvadoran Angelino like me. And this summer, he released a beautiful series called Classy, where he interrogates whether or not he is a class hole and what it means to be one and what it means when you're class identity starts shifting and who you become. Well, so Jonathan, first of all, it is so nice to see your face. I don't think we've seen you in, well, definitely not in the pandemic, but like years. You were, you yes. and Hillary were on our show a long time ago. A long yeah, time, ago. A long time yeah. ago. I think that's maybe the last time we saw each other other than social media. Oh totally. my God, it's too yeah. much. Well, this is also why, you know, I, I, I wish to evaporate from this earth and all social media, except that like, I love when Instagram, I can see like your fit checks. Right. Oh, it's yeah. So great. Oh, I love. <laughs> I love. Or know whose birthday it is. Uh-huh. All the good stuff. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. cute. Yeah. I want to start off because I hope that all of our listeners have also gotten a chance to listen to Classy. And if not, you definitely will want to after this. But the tagline for the show is Classy. It's a show about the chasms between us that are really hard to talk about but are too big to ignore. And I just think I, I love that. And I love hearing you say that at the top of every episode because I just think our whole mode of being as the Mashup Americans and also as storytellers and journalists, reporters, is that we're just always trying to bridge those chasms. And the way Mm -hmm. that we do that is just like by listening and by asking these big, complicated questions. And I'm so grateful that you were the one to tackle this in this way because it feels so, so special. And so congratulations, Jonathan. Oh, thank you so much. That's really nice of you to say. Yeah. 
you're welcome. And also, it's true. It's and true. And <laughs> as my dad would say, it has the added benefit of being true. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, we've been working a lot with uh, progressive organizers in the last several years. And one of the things that they taught us is about uh, being agitated and being agitators and uh-huh. how it's a good thing, right? You, they, yeah, they kept yeah. being like, you guys are agitators. And I was like, that's <laughs> rude. And then they said, no, it means that you're you're pushing something forward. And yeah. what it has uh, taught me is that when I listen to something uh, or I read something to understand why in my body it makes me feel uncomfortable. Right. And right. this has so many moments, in, but in the best possible way, where I'm like, oh, yeah, maybe I'm a class hole. But there, there's this agitation that is because um, I'm seeing truth. So thank you for doing that. I am like, now I get to agitate with you. So that's very exciting. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's interesting. The thing you said, like, well, you know, this never made it into formal language in the show, but one of the things we were thinking a lot about when we were looking for stories and talking about, like, what is this show exactly, is that, like, these feelings of of class guilt or ickiness or whatever, however you want to describe it, they happen when you're bumping up against the borders of class. Like, mm. if you exist in your world, everybody's like you, like, you don't even have to think think about it other than being like, you know, like maybe I'd like to make some more money, you know. Um, but like, for instance, I, I talked to my dad, this tape didn't make it into the show, but I, I was just like telling him even like what the show was and asking him like, what are your feelings about class? And he was like, wait, what? Like he didn't even mm-hmm. get the question, you know, cause mm-hmm. it's not a thing that I think he has to think about much, you know, like mm. in his world, he's an immigrant who got a working class job and then like made it, you know, like he's, he's got a nice house in the desert. Uh, he's got a wife who's a a teacher, but you know, he's not like running in circles and encountering things that like make him like feel bad, you know, or, or like question his class position at all. Really? Well, what's super interesting, I thought is that I mean, and I I was like screen texting Rebecca about this throughout all of my listening, which was just that one of the central premises of your approach to the question of class is a discomfort or guilt of understanding like the immorality of being rich. And just mm-hmm. that that like that is like kind of culturally pervasive. Like you talk about Scrooge McDuck or, right. you know, the idea that like there are no good millionaires or billionaires or what should you do with this money and not wanting to be a class hole. And it. I, I couldn't like it took me a minute to figure out like why this felt odd to me when I re- I was just like, oh, it's because literally everything about my upbringing as like a first generation Korean American is that for us and for our family and for our community, for for like Korean Americans in the 80s, everything was about attainment of money and uh-huh. status. And then that meant that you were good. Not that like being rich made you an asshole. Right, so like right, right, in my right. mind, there was never any, there wasn't like a, like it was like, a, no, getting money is quite literally everything. Yeah. And so now, like having gone into a different class as my parents, similarly to have you have, but like now I live in like a, you know, the, like a, I don't know, what do you, like a creative class or whatever. Like mm-hmm. I'm a shitty bourgeois person that lives in Brooklyn, but I make significantly less money than my parents ever did. Like we have less assets than I ever grew up with. And somehow I made that choice. 
Yeah. Like, I, yeah. I think I did something wrong. I don't know. But it was like, it, it was wild to realize that, like, my kind of whole upbringing was oppositional to maybe what yours was as as you were growing up and into this story. Yeah, yeah. That's super interesting to think about. I mean, you know, I, I think my parents always wanted me to do well. Um, they, they, they certainly wanted money for me. They wanted me to be, have a job where I wouldn't have to struggle the way they were. Um, mm-hmm. both like paying the bills, but also more like, I think the thing I heard more, most often is go to school so that you can get a job so you don't have to work like me. And that meant like working physically, you know, uh, my parents were divorced. I grew up mostly with my mom. Uh, I would like spend weekends with my dad, but still it, it was about like, so that you don't have to have this damage to your body, you know, standing mm-hmm. on a concrete floor all day or just lifting things. My mom uh, drove a forklift for a long time. My stepdad was a truck driver for a while, you know. And so it, it was it was more about just like get out so that you don't have this physical damage to your body. But yeah, the money thing, I don't it's interesting. Like the money thing, um, it's another thing that didn't make it into the show, but while we were making the show, my dad came out to visit uh, my house for the first time, and I was really conflicted about it and uncertain how to feel. Like he's uh, he's on his third house. He, he like um, he ha- has a house with pillars on the inside. It's like so mm-hmm. big. Um, mm-hmm. But he had to move out to the desert to to get that house. Yeah, he lives like halfway between L.A. and and Vegas. So you know, I have like a pretty modest house, and but in like a fancy suburb in New Jersey, you know. And we've had some renovations, and there's there's stuff that's like, like yeah, like you're saying, like bougie asshole. Uh, that is like this house is the embodiment of that, you know. Mm-hmm. And I was expecting. I was feeling guilty going into that, like showing him the house and like thinking about like, how do I justify this stuff? And he just has like <laughs> none of that. You know, he, mm-hmm. he was like, why are you basically like, why are you even asking this question? You should feel super proud of all of this. And like, I don't feel anything weird about the difference between you and me based on this. Um, so he also, also probably was like, why don't you have more pillars? Like, this yes. is, is this even fancy? <laughs> like, yeah, you spent yeah. this much money to live here. I could, I have a much nicer house. You no made your choice. No kidding. He was, he was like, <laughs> you, you have one and a half bathrooms and like yeah. all, all of the rooms are this dinky. Like, what the hell? <laughs> How much is this house? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. I think the other question here, though, is that clearly you feel we have so many things that we can all feel guilty about, Jonathan, Mm -hmm. but clearly you feel guilty about enjoying your renovations or your wardrobe. But like, what do you think would make you feel better about having that money or entering into a different class? Like, would it have been more moral to not buy this season's cardigan? (laughs) Yeah. What are you yeah. supposed to do with it? Yeah, spending money on yourself is is a thing that for me just in general I feel guilty about, you know. You know, like a, a lot of immigrant children my my parents were sacrificing stuff and not having nice things themselves so that we could have stuff. So there is a real question of just like what right do I have to like buy a new pair of jeans when my old pair hasn't worn out yet, you know. Um mm-hmm. other than that nobody wears skinny jeans anymore and um 
Like, oh, what the hell? Like, why? Jeans, Jonathan. <laughs> I know. Like, the low rise? I can't believe how low no, I used I, to I'm wear. Sorry. I, no, I'm sorry to those people, but I'm still not doing it. That yeah. isn't, you know what? The high rise is meant for a, a grown up's body. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> I am not Britney Spears in 1996. Okay. Yeah. 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 Sorry. Yeah. Sorry to this man, but no. Yeah. Um, yeah. But also, I think this is the life that my parents wanted for me. You know, Mm -hmm. they wanted me to have like whatever I wanted, you know. Um, I think a lot of it is is like way beyond parents. A a lot of it, Mm. like I'm an 80s kid and my vision of why this stuff is bad is like every preppy 80s villain, you know. 100%. Um, It's like Andrew McCarthy, just over and over. Blaine. Mm Blaine. Yeah. (laughs) Like to, to be a yuppie is like one of my worst fears, you know, but (laughs) arguably I totally am, you know, I don't think we're using that word anymore, but all of this stuff, like a lot of my taste, you know, even like down to wearing some pretty preppy clothes sometimes. Uh, Well, I'm literally wearing a button up that with like the collar popped right now. And but sometimes (laughs) looks fantastic. I feel really great about it. And it's very confusing. Uh Um, (laughs) But but Jonathan, how do you think you define guilt for yourself? How do I define guilt? Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess when it related to class and and how we thought about it in this show, we never used the phrase income inequality in the show at all, but like it's kind of a given that that's what we are talking about. There's just like an acknowledgement that some of us have things and some of us don't. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of overwhelming feelings that go with that. Some of that is warranted, I think. Um, some of it's not. And I, I think that's a thing that it, it turns out that the show ended up being a lot about is sort of just really staring at that and and talking about just like where does this come from you know and like how much of it is real um and how much of it is things we make up in our head you know so much of this stuff is like stories we are telling ourselves um at least for someone in in my position you know i I think for someone of of a lower class the sort of made up ness of it is they're they're very real issues that people are facing so well i think especially when you can become a bridge or you you have a certain moments where you're able to be a like the kind of truth teller of some of it it's Mm -hmm. true you know when you can tell people oh no i've been there trust me everyone's making it up you think that they know what a like that almond syrup thing on the menu is, but they also don't, or they read books at home and are like kind of preparing in their own way, or were like sent to a school to learn that stuff. It was interesting, actually, though, like speaking of fancy schools and stuff and like signifiers, is that one detail that you share in Classy is that when somebody asks the question of of where you went to school, yeah. it's like an immediate trigger for you. And it's like yeah, yeah. a chip on your shoulder, just like, doing it like more comes chipping off. Yeah, and yeah, I, yeah. I want to know, like, what is that? How How does that feeling sit in relationship to the guilt you feel for having achieved a lot and having made money? And yeah. Living your fancy New York suburb- or New Jersey suburban life. Yeah. I mean, I, I I think that is one of those like clubs that I don't belong to, you know, like that chip comes from like the experience of having said one time when somebody asked, like, where'd you go to school? And I said, Cal State Fullerton. 
and you know and, and then people's eyes just like go to the ground you know mm. <laughs> and like they don't know what to say at least oh, some well, people fucking assholes you know um <laughs> but i don't blame them though because you know like and, and then i've seen the other thing happen where um where where people like have a shared school that they went to you know um god what's the school in in um in ohio that so many people in radio oh, have gone uh, to? uh oberlin uh, oberlin yes yeah so like yeah like when, when people bring up oberlin you know like i have seen so many people in our radio podcast community just like they're just there again you know mm -hmm. <laughs> they're all and and it just feels shitty. It feels shitty to not be a part of that club. At the same time, like, there is a way in which, like, my version of, like, saying, like, I went to a state school, uh, I commuted there every day, like, I lived at home, you know, like, it's both pathetic and also a little bit of a badge of honor. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. But even that, I'm just like, man, why am I pretending like this, like, struggle that I had or, or the, the, like the story that I tell about my college existence that like that, that somehow gives me something, you know, mm. <laughs> do you feel the opposite feeling or what does it feel like when you're in a crowd and, or like a, you know, like a work or like an event like this where like people are kind of, you know, sussing each other out and, and you're like, Oh yeah, well I worked at this American life and I worked with Terry Gross and I did the, is, like, what does that feeling, does it give you that Oberlin feeling? I guess it does. Although I, I, I pull the classic kind of like, you know, the way people talk about, like, I, I went to a school in Boston instead of <laughs> Harvard. Um, yeah. Like when I worked at This American Life, I, I used to say like, um, yeah, I, I work at this radio show. It's called This American Life. And people are like, of course I know what that is. Like, stop <laughs> pretending, like, you know. Um, <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, like, like working at those places, to me, as much as, like, that was the only thing I ever wanted to do, it sort of felt like saying, like, like showing off the, the clothing I was wearing or something, you know. Mm -hmm. um, like, I, I both loved the cachet of it and, and felt guilty about it, for yeah. sure. Yeah. There's something that we think about a lot and that I hear you wrestling with throughout all of this, which is just like all the different kinds of classes that there are. Mm -hmm. Right. There's there's actual wealth and like social class, right. economic class. And then there's an intellectual class and there's yes. a creative class. And then there's like not just when you have money, but new money class or old money class or what like, you know, right now as a clothes horse, like the past year of like quiet luxury being the epitome of what class is now or yeah, now, yeah. like like the shit that I get fed on Instagram is like because I like nails. I like mm -hmm. nail art. I'll get like, oh, these are the new quiet luxury colors. And it's like <laughs> some hideous top for your fingers. And I'm but like, what does that mean? And also yeah. now you occupy so many of these classes and you are belonging and you create stuff that other people in the intellectual and creative classes are listening to and talking about and are part of does that make you feel more like you belong i 
guess so. Yeah. Uh, it's taken me a long time to feel like I belong somehow. Yeah. Um, I, cause I, I really did not feel for a long time working in some of the places in media that I have worked, um, that I belonged and like that I knew what I was doing at all. And I, I mean, in some ways it really is like making this show is the first time I have felt like 100% confident and the thing that I'm doing, you know, mm. it's a little bit of an exaggeration for sure. But, um, but having a thing that I'm like running and a lot of it is, is like my creative vision is, is like kind of forced me into that. But even that, you know, like sometimes I go back on that and I'm just like, why is the thing that like the first time that I am in the press at all and my photos out there and stuff is like me laying out my sad sad ass working class story you know like why can't it just be like a breaking investigative podcast or something you know um so like there are there are all kinds of to be queen for a day jonathan (laughs) oh yeah jonathan's queen for a day but let's hope there's less secrets (laughs) i'm i'm queen jonathan let's not tell hillary you're like surprise there's a child um somewhere well but at that but that that question then jonathan first of all as we've been joking we're over the discourse like not everything needs to be discourse but Uh i think in in here it's sort of the Things are more complicated and like the internet doesn't allow that or the way that we consume information. And also over your lifetime, you evolve and and you're still made up of the stuff that you grew up with. And so in some ways, like you're trying to say, no, these are this is still me. Like I I'm made of this stuff like I'm. it's in my DNA and you know, your your brain neuron, whatever. It's like constantly being made anew, right? Or things, yeah, new yeah. things are constantly happening. That's science, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, I think that there's a way in which um, um, America likes to place very binary ideas about identity and who you are on mm-hmm. all of us, right? It's yeah, yeah. like you're black or you're white. And you're like, well, we're kind of a lot of other things there yeah. or you're you're poor or you're rich. And actually, you might have gone from like brown to white in the course of your lifetime in the mm-hmm. way that America currently understands. understands is a really uh, generous word for America. Mm. The way America currently approaches what whiteness is or what any of these things are is like you know, my dad as as a, a 70 year old Jewish son of immigrants was uh, like a, you know, immigrant kid, right? First gen mm-hmm. kid. And now they're like, oh, that old white man. And right. that's a very confusing right. life trajectory, right? If that's the only lens in which you're seeing yourself. And I'm curious for you as you're kind of navigating this how when you read the article about you, which, you know, Queen for a Day, Jonathan, is how you're seeing the way somebody else is telling your story versus how you're wrestling with it just in your day to day life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's been pretty fascinating to see. Like I, there have been descriptions of the show, like where people have said it's about coming to terms uh, with being OK, being upper class and i'm like wait what that's 
that's the story that I'm telling. And then like, I had to be like, wait a minute. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm not upper class. I, I think I'm probably like technically upper middle class, but I thought all along what I was saying was like, uh, I have all this like shit that I carry around because I'm a working class kid, you know? Um, mm-hmm. and I thought, I thought that's the story I'm telling <laughs> and it's, uh, it, it has been surprising both in the making of it and the reception of the show to, to understand that people see things differently than I do. Like, of course they do. Of course they do. Like, this is all, you know, like we are telling our stories uh, to ourselves based on our own experiences and, and who we were as children and, and all of that. But like, I mean, I think you can hear me wrestling with that even in in the very first episode, just being yeah. like, um, like, yeah thinking that i am working class and i like i call myself working class and then i i like do stupid things to try and like hold on to my working class cred like i don't know if you can see uh i haven't been out in the sun a whole lot this summer but i usually have a watch tan Mm -hmm. because my stepdad was a truck driver so he always had his left arm hanging out of the uh the driver's side door um Mm -hmm. and had like a serious serious watch tan that is a thing that I feel like I need to have. Like I will, mm. I, I, I'm at the beach in a watch because I'm like somehow trying to hold on to this working class identity mm. that nobody really until now, <laughs> like, I don't, this is, this is like a secret thing that I'm only <laughs> doing for me, I think. The watch tin though, when you say that, I see little baby Jonathan trying to figure out what it means to like be a person in the world mm-hmm. and like a person in the world is to like be a man with a watch tan yeah yeah, yeah for sure and like i think we all have those right and i what is so interesting when it comes to money and not just money but class which i think you know we're all saying are, are different things too is that so much of what us as all of us being first generation in, in kind of different forms right yeah. like all, all three of us here is that like the whole point is about transformation. The whole point is about more and bigger and this like sense of mobility that everybody says now is like, oh, does upward mobility exist in the U.S. anymore? Like, is the American dream still alive? Mm -hmm. And so we're all sitting here having uh, kind of presumptively achieved some version of that. Yeah. And like been successes. But then we're left with being like, okay, well, then if I am now this from that, then who am I? <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 for sure. Jonathan, you really went full, full naked vulnerability in this show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But can I ask a question for you then? Where do you feel most at home and the most relaxed and completely yourself? Not putting on a, any kind of show. Yeah, I mean, God. At the risk of being like a total wife guy, it's like here in this like mixture of of the two worlds that Hillary and I have built together, you know. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, see now you you made that noise and I regret saying <laughs> that. Um, but uh, yeah, just like like our, our our house feels very comfortable to me. But I think it is still working class environments where I I maybe feel like slipping into my old self feels very comfortable you know um where i just can feel most comfortable um so 
there was a, a diner that my mom and I used to go to in, in Whittier, the town in California where I grew up, that was, uh, it was like a, a real working class space run by, I believe she was Filipina, like a woman who just had this little diner, you know, just like very American breakfast. It was, it was called The Bright Spot. And we'd go there and like talk to this woman about, like the conversations we were always having were about her kids and the things that they were achieving, you know, mm-hmm. like she had kids who who had like big aspirations and were off at college and doing big things. And, and so uh, that place is gone, <laughs> <laughs> but it is places like that, I think, where I feel most like myself, but I don't know, man. Cause like, I'm all, I'm also like super uncomfortable sometimes, you know, like a few years ago I was at a, um, a party at, at my dad's, uh, was, it was just like a big, like, I don't even remember what event it was for, but it was like a, a big Mexican kickback. And my, my dad's married to a Mexican American woman and, um, you know, just like pozole and like the taco guy and uh, lots of drunk deals in the corner. Um, it's a dream. And like, yeah, yeah, total dream, like exactly where I want to be. But then like I walk in with my wet self, you know, like <laughs> dressed a little fancy and like, I, I don't know. And so there's always a part of me that's just like, oh, but they're judging me in this other way, you know? <laughs> or they just, so, or they just razz you. I feel like in that world, they'd be like, yeah. what are you doing, Jonathan? What's this outfit? Yeah. What are you doing, bud? Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's yeah. a lot of razzing. Yeah. Well, I, I'm curious too, because your kid goes to school by home, right? Local school. And you described mm-hmm. um, a really kind of beautiful mix of things and exposures there. I'm you know, Amy and I both, our kids are in elementary school, public elementary schools in the cities that we live in. And, you know, it's a whole new social dynamic as a parent as well. And I'm wondering for you, you know, what are some of the markers that when you're meeting new people, especially let's say at your kid's school, you want them to see or think about you (laughs) or if you have awareness of that? So the markers that they are looking to me, yeah, like, like what what I'm projecting, yeah. Um, watch tan, watch yeah, tan. watch watch tan. Uh, Except it's a Rolex. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Uh, but then you don't see the the. You got to take the Rolex off. Yeah, yeah. In order yeah. to no, see I'm, the tan, I'm actually not not into watches. I, I wear cheap watches. I, I'm just wearing a, a Timex that I I got at Target. Um, but I, I could easily, I, I think I'm like resisting because I could be like a vintage watch guy. I, oh, I, could, re- I could really see me being that. That's right. Um, it's, it's on brand, I feel. I think you're right there. to avoid a thing that you know you could be a thing. That's how I feel about me. <laughs> yeah. People yeah, are like, why don't yeah. you do that? I'm like, because I know I'm not strong enough. Once I go in, <laughs> I'll never get out. So Yeah, exactly. Exactly. For sure. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so vintage watch guy, that's the thing I'm trying to project, even though I'm not actually, into that. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I think, uh, I want to project the, the thing that's in my head, which like is a super confusing version of like, um, down to earth working class guy, but also like tapped in creative class person, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think like my interest in clothes 
is is like half that you know half mm-hmm. like really trying to to be like no like i'm i'm super hip and like i know what's in and like what i like about what's in and like i'm gonna wear things before the other suburban dads are wearing them you know mm. um, oh yeah I, I i like being that guy a little bit um can i just say something yeah is that all of these things that you hope to project like you are yeah <laughs> yeah it's true <laughs> If I saw you, if I saw you at drop off, I'd say, that's a cool dude. And I'd yeah. like to be friends with him. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. See, I don't know. I, I don't really feel like I'm, I guess it's working. I guess it's working. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's working. <laughs> yes. Um, well, the, the, yeah. the, the meat puppet, the, whatever you are, like the, the stuff we're wearing on the outside is <laughs> <Yeah>. working. <laughs> um, you know, I, 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 I've been thinking a lot about this as a person who went to private school in a way that was a stretch for my family, but now is a very much not a choice I'm making for my kids. And so it's like mm-hmm. opting out of a certain class system that mm-hmm. I know actually is a very, uh, I think about it a lot. Like every time I'm doing some kind of bureaucratic nonsense with this huge public school system that I'm a part of, even though I'm having a spectacular educational experience for my kid in it, and I walk to school and it's all the like most delicious local community building things. And I love it. And it's Spanish immersion, by the way. So she's my kid is she read me Fantastic. a book in Spanish last night. And I was like, <laughs> oh, man, wow. this is the best. But um, it's also something that I'm very aware of that when other friends who are opting into that other system, class system, mm-hmm. um, I feel that's where my chip is. I have I have a chip on my shoulder about it. I mean the 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 school thing though that is like a big that's not just like a personal choice and a, a reflection of that. I mean I I I am a big believer in public school and like it's a political thing. To, yes. Yeah. If if you have the means to send to, your kid to private school and there are clear advantages to to that private school and you're like no. This is I believe in public education and and the benefits that that's going to bring to the rest of the community if my kid is is in that system you know um oh yeah definitely a political choice yeah yeah Mm -hmm. so i have two more questions for today i want to ask one more question about guilt but also as we've talked so much about class we've talked about money and about guilt and all these things but i want to know why classy is the name of the show and what does it what does classy mean to you yeah, I, I think, I mean, Classy was, uh, naming the show, that was a deliberate uh, jab in the eye of anyone who has ever used that word <laughs> uh, in the way that it's traditionally meant to to say that something is classy. Um, like a string think, of pearls and a white linen tablecloth? All of that, that shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I think... Rebecca is literally shaking her head with some distance from the microphone no, right now. No, when people would be like, I go to cotillion. I was like, what the fuck words are you even saying to me? Yeah, yeah, Get yeah, out of yeah. here. <laughs> Fascist. She was shaking, shaking her, her her head, yes, I should. Yes. I, I want to make... She was I not, love like, disagreeing. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, my producer, Kristen Torres, and I sort of like were very aligned in in wanting to say a thing that we are saying with this show is that you can be classy no matter where you come from yes. um, and and that there is real dignity and beauty and laughter and just like 
three-dimensionalness of people, even poor people, you know? I feel like, like that, actual that's... Humanity. Actual yeah. humanity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that is, like, so often... Um, even even in kind of like well-meaning liberal media, you know, it, n- not the portrayal of people of that class. And um, so it's, a yeah, titling Look, the show Classy is a little bit of a fuck you. Well, you know, we always say that we're going to do something con class, right? With class. Mm-hmm. It's our little play on that, too. And we were agitated by this series and we were interrogating ourselves around that. And then we were sort of similarly, I think, realizing that part of the when we say con class, what we mean is like abundant and rich of like joy and and generosity and hospitable. Yeah. And I feel like that's true of not just actual hospitality, which is super important to Rebecca and I in particular, like welcoming somebody into our space. But that, I mean, the welcoming of somebody into our space also means like, even like how we treat people on Slack yeah. or like when we onboard like a new editor, a new producer for a project, like just making sure that everybody feels welcome and abundant so yeah. that yeah. like like we have enough yeah. and we are going to make more. So like we're all <laughs> let's let's all go do it. You know, like yeah. that classiness feels like kind of the opposite, I guess, of what the, I don't know, the like the more pejorative term of like being exclusionary or that you must have X things to do Y, whatever, mm-hmm. or to deserve anything that like mm-hmm. you just are. So you are. So we will. So that's what it means to like do things con class. Like, I don't know. I feel like abundance has something to do with it. And then I'm like, well, what is, what is any, what do either of these two words have to do with each other? <laughs> yeah. Other than that we just like made up new definitions for it. But yeah. yeah. Like if day class A, let's just say to be a jerk. Or to like uh-huh. make people feel left out. I'm like, that's not classy at all. You're a jerk. Yeah, yeah. My last question is, how do we not feel so guilty about, you know, existing in the world as we do? What is your advice for our community, our listeners? We have all this stuff that we're uh-huh. all carrying around with us. Uh-huh. How do we just like not feel guilty about it all the time? I think one thing I have realized both in in making this show and in just getting older is that um you're not going to get rid of it you're just Mm. you're just going to have it and uh and the thing to do with that guilt is to like sit with it a little bit you know like put your arm around it and like look it in the face and examine it and try and understand uh where it's coming from and make friends with it and um and in that way I think you can both diminish its power over you and then also it's okay to feel shitty, you know, <laughs> to just like take take that guilt, even if you have managed to to like reexamine it and be like, oh, no, 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 this is, you know, like the fact that some of us have things and some of us don't. And like, if you happen to be one of those people that has and you and you feel shitty about it, it's okay. That's like probably a good thing for you to feel, to be questioning, you know, mm. like, mm. wow, um, it's pretty wild that in this unfair system, I somehow have managed to benefit from it, you know, and I don't, I don't know, you know, maybe, maybe that line of thinking leads you down a whole other path of like trying to address that in other ways. But um, yeah, you're not going to get rid of it. So just like, just, just befriend it. Yeah, make it make a traveling companion. Ugh, I love that. Jonathan Menhivar, this was a delight. 
times three. Times three. It was really so, so great to talk to you. And um, thank you for making this show. And I hope that everybody listens to it. Thank you so much for for, uh, having me here uh, in a space uh, con todo... Con class. <laughs> Con class. That's yeah. the way that oh, we yeah. do it. Yeah. Yeah, you can get a good therapy session for everybody. Yeah. But yeah. Thank you for that. <laughs> I mean, I have a lot more uh, like oozing out now. So, um, you know, I'll, 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 I'll take it out on someone else. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, John. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me. It was really fun. Jonathan, I hope you know you will always have a big, thick, pale watch tan in our hearts. You are not a class hole. <laughs> I love that part about thinking about the the trappings of something or something you I you really focus in on and you're like no that's that's what it looks like to be a grown up or to be a man. Ugh, I love it. So watch tans for life. Love that. <laughs> uh, and if you're a class hole, we all are. I mean, we we actually may be and you aren't. You know, TBD. <laughs> and we're gonna get we're gonna get through it together having these convos. So. Thank you to Jonathan and everybody. Make sure to go check out his incredible podcast, Classy. It agitated me in the best, best ways. Um, So go check it out. And next week, Dr. Pooja Lakshman will be joining us to talk about real self-care, which is basically boundaries. Mm, boundaries. <laughs> but are we even allowed to have boundaries as mashup women? TBD. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't, I've never, I haven't had one in my life, Rebecca. Mm-hmm. Nope. <laughs> okay, well, make sure to catch the rest of the Ultimate Guide to a Mashup Life. We'll have episodes every week, all fall. Like and follow the Mashup Americans wherever you get your pods and tell your friends. We love you. This podcast is a production of the Mashup Americans. It is executive produced by Amy S. Choi and Rebecca Lehrer. Senior editor and producer is Sarah Pellegrini. Production manager is Shelby Sandlin. Thanks to DJ Rob Swift for our theme song, Salsa Scratch. Additional engineering support by Pedro Rafael Rosado. Please make sure to follow and share this show with your friends. Bye. Bye.